Amen. God wants you to use your one life. That's awesome. Praise God for that. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. If you'd turn to Hebrews 11, then we'll be uh, just looking at three verses from there as well as in Genesis chapter uh, 22, but I'll put those verses up on the screen. You can remain just in Hebrews 11 and, and we'll take care of it from that. I'm super excited about this event. I'm excited that Brother Christian's running everything now. That's, that's what I'm excited about. I was a youth pastor here, like he said, for nine years. We started this rally, I think, when Brother Christian was a sophomore in high school. And so um, what do we have here? Oh, there's some past pictures. Brother yeah. Bernie from year one all the way. <laughs> And then there's a few of the people that you might recognize. Also had Brother Landy here, like Brother Christian said, back in 2013. And so I'm, I, I just love Brother Landy. Glad he's back uh, with us this, this afternoon. He's doing an awesome job. And so we're just excited to have one life to live for Jesus Christ. And, and that's, that's what it's all about. So Hebrews um, chapter 11. I appreciate Brother Landy, like I said, because I knew him in, the, in that first year of Bible college together. He was downstairs, I was upstairs, and yet we sat together in a lot of classes, and I got to know him just as the crazy guy on campus, but that he had a heart for God, and that's what I appreciated about him. And, and what came through was that, was that passion, that burning desire that I only have one life. I've got to make it. I've got to make it count. And some of you might have heard the session that we just listened to, and you might have heard his testimony and think, well, that's all fine for you guys. You seem to know God, but how can we know God? I don't, I don't, I've never seen God. And there might be people struggling with a, a, a video that somebody showed you on YouTube that was an atheist talking about there's no God and God is dead and Christians are idiots for believing in God. And you might be struggling through those things thinking, I've never touched God I've never smelled God. I've never, I've never handled God or heard God's voice. I've never seen God. What's this deal about Christians? And what's the point of that? And Hebrews chapter 11 is pretty much the answer to that question. It's that wonderful Christian word called faith. And this whole, this whole book starts out by saying, look, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can't see God. And you will not know him by touching, feeling, smelling, tasting God himself. He comes through faith. And verse 3, through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So in some ways he's saying the fact that you're here on this beautiful creation that we get to live on, you can look around to this creation and look and say, this was not made by any of these people I'm living with right now. This is made by something that I can't see. And this is made by something that's invisible. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is just a whole chapter of people that gave their lives to this invisible God. They, they knew God was there. They, made a, they might have had an experience of God, but they lived their entire lives Never, never seeing him in the day-to-day, -day, never knowing him and walking with him. So Abel, it says in verse 4, he sacrificed a, a perfectly good lamb. And in some ways, it was like, why are you doing that, Abel? And he said, well, if God said it, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to believe that God's way is best. And Cain said, no, my way is best. And he paid for it. 
Abel lived by faith and Cain didn't. Enoch lived by faith and walked with God in verse number five. And uh, uh, Noah walked with God by a life of faith. All of these were, were these, these, these commands from God who is still invisible to the majority of people. And yet here's a guy like Noah, go build a boat. Yeah, but it, I, you're saying there's rain. I don't even know what rain is. Yeah, don't worry about that. I'm going to flood the whole earth, and you better believe me or you'll perish along with them. And preach righteousness to these people. They're going to think you're crazy, but go ahead and preach righteousness to them. And Noah said, well, if God said it, I guess I'll do it. And the character we're going to focus on is Abraham. Abraham, and, and, and in verse number 8, God says, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees. I want you to leave this land of Ur. Abraham was the Jeff Bezos of the Middle East. He was, he, was, he was what we would call filthy rich. He was Jeff Bezos, and, and all of a sudden he receives a message from God. Nobody else heard it, but he by faith believes God and leaves Ur. Leaves all his possessions, leaves, not all his possessions, he takes them with, but he leaves the mansions he had and came and followed God's command. And keep on walking until I tell you to stop. And if Jeff Bezos had done that and sells his, sells his mansions and says, I'm just going to start walking into the desert. And you go, the headlines would be like, Jeff Bezos has lost his mind. He has gone crazy because the headlines will be, God told me to. God told me to. And that's what Abraham did. God told me to go into the desert because he's promised me something. And I'm following God, and everyone would have thought that was crazy. But Abraham said, if God said it, I'm going to do it. And verse number 17 of Hebrews chapter 11 says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, after living a long time in this life of faith, now God tests him or tries him. So by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And Abraham's wandering along in the desert, following God, living a life of faith, and now all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, God says, I'm going I'm to test you now. You say you're living a life of faith. You say you're not squandering your life. Well, let's put a test in front of you to see if you're really willing to stick with this. And so I want you to... I know there's all these promises about your one son, Isaac. And the Bible calls it his only begotten son. He had another son from another, uh, from another woman, but that son, Ishmael, was not the one that all the promises of God were attached to. This son, Isaac, was the only one that God said, I'm going to make a nation of you through Isaac. Through, through you and through your son, Isaac, will all the earth be blessed. In verse number 18, he says that, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. He was the promised one. He was the one that God said, this is the child that, that is the chosen one. And then God, just to test Abraham, says, kill him. That one son that you're wrapping all of your future around, I want you to kill him. And, and verse number 18 is a quotation from Genesis 22. It's going back to the Old Testament story. And Genesis 22, verse 2 says, And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, and, and, and whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there 
for a burnt offering. Do you know what they do for burnt offerings? Like they burn them. They kill them and then they throw them on top of the fire. The burnt offering is literally what it is. And so he's thinking, okay, my son Isaac, you told me that he's going to be the promised one, the chosen one, and you're now telling me, kill him and burn him. And, and, and there's, like, there's no way out of it, but the Bible just tells us that um, he starts hiking the very next day. As soon as God tells him that, he starts hiking toward the mountain God tells him to. They get to the base of the mountain, and, and verse number 5 says, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go um, yonder and worship, and we'll come again to you. So he gets to the base of the mountain. He tells his servants, hang out here for a little bit. Me and Isaac are going to go up the mountain. He doesn't say this part, but I'm going to kill him and burn him. And then we'll come back. I'm going to go up the mountain. God told me to kill my son, but me and the lad, Isaac and I are going to go up there, and then we'll come back to you. How did he know? Well, that's what Hebrews 11 says, by faith. He believes God and, and, and says that, don't worry about this, I'll be right back. And verse number five says that, I, um, uh, I, I do that. In Abraham's words, we can say, I don't know how God is going to do this, but I believe he will. I don't know how God's going to do this, but I believe he will. And the, the very next verse tells, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon his son Isaac. So he's old enough to, to carry wood up a mountain. He's not just a little kid. And, and Abraham takes a fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. So here goes Abraham up the hill. I don't know how God's going to do this, but I believe he will. This isn't an exact replica. We don't exactly know what style knife he used, but it was perhaps an ancient style with a wooden handle and a long blade that they would use for butchering animals. We're talking about sacrifice being a very, very bloody thing. When the sacrifices were in the temple, the priests were not holy men of God. They were mostly just butchers. When people would come to present their offering, you know what they would do? They would either slice the neck of the cow and it would bleed all over the place. They would capture a little bit of the blood and put it on the altar or the goat or the lamb or twist the heads off of the turtle doves. They were, they were very brutal people. And so the priests were just butchers. And Abraham's thinking, I've got to do this to my son? And it says he, Isaac is carrying the wood up the mountain and and Abraham grabs the fire, and he grabs the knife, and he um, is, is kind of going through this, and all over, my son, my son, I'm, I'm going to have to kill my son? And he says, I don't know how God's going to do this, but I believe he will. And the story goes on, and Isaac is hiking up the hill with the wood on his back. Dad, I mean, I, I see all the wood and everything for this sacrifice, but I'm not seeing like, you know, a lamb or something. And in a providential statement, a prophetic words, he says, God will provide himself an alt, uh, a sacrifice. And when they're at the top of the mountain, he begins putting the rocks together to make the altar. And then he takes the wood from Isaac and he stacks those on top of the altar. And there's still no lamb. And all of a sudden, he starts to bind Isaac. And the Bible says he binds Isaac. And he lays Isaac on the altar. Isaac was old enough to... Perhaps fight back. Abraham was 
no young man. He was, didn't have all his strength to him, and Isaac obviously was strong enough to hike up the hill with wood on his back. We don't know how old he was, but this isn't a story about Isaac. This is still a story about Abraham and the faith of Abraham and what's going on in Abraham's mind that he's saying, I don't know how God's going to do this, but I believe he will. I don't know what my future holds because I thought my future was in Isaac, but I believe he will do it. And the, the verse in Genesis says, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He was literally just poised over top of the altar with his son bound there on the altar, ready to plunge it through his own son. And yet he had just told the people, uh, I'm going to be back down this mountain after I burn my son. He didn't tell me he was going to burn him. You say, but didn't he just surrender? I mean, isn't he a surrendered great Bible character? And in some ways, yes, because there's, there's two sides of surrender. We can think that then in some ways he had already surrendered. His past, he had let go and he had left Ur. He had gone already. He was living a life of faith. He was choosing to follow God and believe God, believe that God would take care of his, of his past. And he had all that. He had released all that. But in some ways, he didn't have his future surrendered. And that's the test God is bringing to him. My son Abe is seven years old. My daughter Charlotte is five. My daughter Gwen is, is three. They're there in the back. And I think of my son. He's a seven-year-old. He's my man. And I'm training him to be a man. And I'm training him to be tough and trying to be a man. But the part that grips my emotions about my children is not necessarily what their ages are now. In some ways, we look at our kids all the time as the little babies that they once were. Brother John was setting the scene as those cute little babies. And as they coo, this is the part that's precious to me. This is the part that's so special to me. The little innocent small part of my, my children's lives are the parts that I want to protect. If my son gets hurt, I'm like, hey, suck it up, be a man, let's be tough, all right? It's okay. But when my little babies got hurt, it was like, oh, you poor little thing, are you okay? And the part that we cherish... In some ways, parents always look at their kids as their baby. Does your mom ever call you, oh, my baby, oh, my babies, don't treat my babies like that. They think of you as their baby. And no matter how old you get, I'm not your baby, mom, come on. You know, and no matter how old you get, you're still mom and dad's baby. And in some ways, it's, it's like Abraham might have been thinking of Isaac. Yes, he was a young man. He was, he was big enough to do that, uh, hike up the hill with him. He was big enough to just lay there on the altar himself. But in some ways, what Isaac was saying was, this represents everything about my future. This sweet little baby represents what God promised to me. And now God's saying, kill him. And, and, and I have to be the one that actually kills him. And Abraham loved his son, and this is, this is where his future was, and everything that he wanted to do was wrapped up in him. And God says, kill him. In some ways, the language of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye what? You know it. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your body a living sacrifice. Let your body be laid on the altar as a sacrifice before God. I really like the part that he says, a living sacrifice. It's like, whew, we get to be alive. I don't actually have to, you know, commit a human sacrifice here. We're talking about a sacrifice that is alive. And God says, this, this sacrifice I'm talking about, this call to surrender your life, 
is about killing a part of you that you want to keep alive. God says, lay it down on the altar before me. God says, take everything you love and dream and wrap your future around and kill it. Your life is not your own. Your life is mine. And in Abraham, his future, his hope was represented by a baby. But for you, your your future, your hope, the thing that God might be calling you to do today is to say, you know what? There might be something in your life that you know is there that's holding you back. And what God is bringing you to a moment of decision about is to put that on the altar and kill it. Put whatever it is on the altar and kill it. But Lenny mentioned the past. Some of you might have a past. Good or bad, I'm just talking about if that's what you're relying on and God is calling you forward to a new future, then God says, I want you to kill your past. There might be some terrible things in your past, and I'm not here to downplay those things at all. But I'm here to say no matter what is in the past, God has a beautiful future for you, and God has a wonderful path that you can walk. Your past might be so wrecked by addictions. You might, your, past, your past might be so hurt by what has happened, even things that have happened to you. There might be divorce in your family. There might be sexual sins in your family. I'm talking about things that hurt you. I don't mean to dredge those things up, but if those are the things that are dragging you back, that are holding you back and saying, I could never do the things that Brother Landy was preaching about in the last session, then maybe what God is bringing you to this moment of decision is place your past upon the altar and kill it today. This is holding you back from my best. Then surrendering your life to me might mean that you put your past on the altar and choose to believe God over what Satan says about you. Choose to believe God and and have faith through eyes of faith, believing God what God has for you more than what you think your life should be about. What might be on the altar of your life could be a sin. It could be a vice. It could be something that God is calling you to repent of today. It's not always the case. But if, you're, if, you're, if your tongue is a tongue of lying, then you think, if God's calling me to be a missionary, I can't be a lying missionary. And God may be calling you to put your lying on the altar and kill it once and for all. Surrender that to God as the only one that can help. You might have a temper that triggers every moment. And that is the anger. That's the thing that God is calling you to surrender, to kill that in your life so that I can move forward. I must give this up. This bitterness of my past, this part of me that I can't get over, this tongue that I can't control. I can't be a missionary. I cuss too much. I couldn't be a pastor. What if I'm preaching a sermon and, and out slips a cuss word? I would be so embarrassed. It's just habit. It's just habit. I just can't get over this. It's just, it's just what I was saved out of, and it's just something that I can't, I can't move past, and I don't, I don't know. So I give up on this whole Christian thing. It's too hard. If, God, if that's what's holding you back from serving God, then surrender that to God. Say, I don't believe what the world has for you. I don't even believe my own habits. I'm going to kill my own habits on the altar of surrender to God. Your past might include addictions, it might include smoking, it might include marijuana or CBD of any, of, of any, uh, of any sort. It could, be, it could be something that you've been told the lie, that it doesn't alter you, that it's not addicting, that it's something that I can control, that it's something that I can do without. And, and if that's the vice that's gripping your life and is getting a stronger and stronger grip on your life, you know who you are. God is calling you today to a place of surrender to kill that vice. Whatever the vice is in your life, for many teenagers, it's not necessarily marijuana or smoking, but it's vaping. 
And as sneaky as you can be, you can only hide it for so long, and you know friends at school that have it, and you know devices that can fit into, that can fit into your backpack, they can fit into pens, they can fit into USB sticks, they can fit into the strings on your sweatshirt. You can hide it, no problem. You can hide the smoke. You can hide everything, and God is calling you to this day, uh, on this day, to say, you know that you've been hiding this. Are you tired of hiding it? Why don't you just surrender it on the altar and say, you know what, I want to live for God. And God will not be pleased with this in my life. And I want to kill that on the altar so that I can move forward to God. I surrender my habits, my vices to God. You may not view your phone as a vice, but most teenagers' potential, I've seen the change in just the past five, maybe three years. The change of youth ministry has turned from, uh, even, the, even the time that I was a youth pastor, within the nine years, I saw the change go from those who got into a little bit of trouble because they were actually going home and sitting down at a computer and posting dumb things, to them having access to that all the time in their pocket. And your wasted potential might be so tied up in your phone that you think you could never get a, a, a control of that and you're constantly looking down, not around. Your life is on the likes instead of on people. And you, Do you ever do what I do? And sometimes you're just so habitual about your habits. You just pull out your phone. You're not even looking for anything. And you have kind of a path, a, a, a habit path that you follow. This, and then you scroll here, and you like that, and then you close that and go to the next app. And then you close that and you go to the next app. And then you check for messages and you, you have a path that you follow and it's the same path. And then you're like, what did I just do? Nothing. And then you put your phone away in your pocket and, and sometimes, sometimes within 30 seconds it's back out. Am I wrong? Sometimes this is the thing that controls your life and your, your eyes. This is what controls your attention. And maybe God is calling you saying, if this is the thing that's gripping your heart, if this is what's pulling your life down, God wants you to put it on the altar and kill it. And say, I'm calling you to something greater. I'm calling you to something bigger than just a phone. And your potential is wasted. Your potential is wasted and you need to surrender that to God. Again, it may not just be the vices. It may be the fear that grips your life about, man, if God does call me to be a missionary, I don't know what's going what's to happen. The unknown, I, I'm just so scared of that. Faith, by definition, means it's unknown. Faith means you will be moving into a dark road that you can't see that far ahead. And that's when God is saying, live this life of faith. That is the life of blessing. Give your fear to me. Place your fear on the altar. Well, what if my child gets sick? Surrender your children on the altar. What if my spouse dies? Surrender your spouse on the altar. Put that before God, not as the hope. Your hope is not wrapped up in your spouse or in your children or in your future. Your hope is in Jesus Christ and God was getting Abraham's eyes off himself and onto God. And Abraham could have had so many fears in his life, but God said, lay that on the altar and trust me for what the future holds. And he did. You need to kill the fear of saying, I don't know what God could call me to be in my public school I don't know what God wants me to be in my public school. This the leader passing out tracks. I don't know if I could do that. I'm so scared. I'm so terrified. I'm so shy. Your potential is not in your personality. It's in Jesus Christ. So wrap your life up around him and live in faith. I don't know if God could call me to be a missionary. I don't know if God could call me to Bible college. I don't know what it is. I'm too scared about that. Lay that on the altar and surrender it to God today. Today. 
For you, it might be the laziness. Just as a, a, you, you, you never want to make a new habit. You would want to live in the habits that are there, and, and you won't learn to pray. You won't learn to read your Bible. You won't learn to come to church. Not because it's too hard to do, but because you just don't want to, you just don't want to work that hard. You don't want to get up. You don't want to get those things. God may be calling you to wake up to your own laziness and lay there on the altar and say, God, if that's what's holding me back from serving you, I want to give that up. I want to give my life to you. And I want to, if, if laziness is the thing that's dragging me down, I'm not into some deep sin. I'm not, I'm not really too scared. I just, God, I want to care. I want to be servant of yours. Then maybe you just need to admit that you're being very, very lazy. And that's the vice that's holding you back from serving God. And God's saying, lay that on the altar and surrender it to me. These lives of comfort that Brother Landy preached about, it might think, man, my life that I have planned out is already better than God's plan. And God says, lay your plans on the altar. They may or may not line up with me, but surrender them to me and watch what I can do with your plans. Don't waste your life on your own plans, trusting yourself more than me. Surrendering. You say, it's so hard. I don't know if I can do that. Well, Abraham lived this life of faith in a previous decision he had to make when God told him about being a dad. The Bible says he staggered not at the promise of God. The other part in red, what he had promised, he was able to perform. This call that God wants to put on your life is not on you to become the great Christian that you think God is calling you to be. It's like Abraham said, God, if you're calling me to do something like this, it's on you to do. Because I can't do this myself. This is going to need to be a miracle that only you can do. And so when I surrender, it may seem hard. It may seem like it takes so much faith. I don't know. Why don't you just have the faith of Abraham and say, you know what? Well, this is on God then. If he's calling me to do this, he's going to have to be the one that does the work. I'll do my part. I don't know how, but I believe he will. I don't know what God's going to do with me, but I believe he will. I believe every step that I take in faith will be a good step. I believe that every step forward in faith is going to work out for my good as long as I follow God. It did for Abraham. Abraham, I want you to leave Ur. Bezos, I want you to leave Ur. Uh, I got a really nice mansion, a lot of things here, but okay, God, I'll take that step of faith. All right, keep walking until I tell you to stop. Uh, okay, just walk into that desert. Yeah, walk into the desert. All right, I'll walk into the desert. And uh, okay, Abraham, have a baby. Uh, I'm like 100 years old, God. <laughs> I said have a baby. All right, I'll have a baby, you know. It's like, woohoo! I had a baby. Now kill it. Dude, God, are you serious? Okay. I mean, Isaac, come here. God told me, you know. No, 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 don't kill him now. Sacrifice him. Okay, I'll go up to the mountain. I'll do like what you say. Sacrifice him up on the mountain. Abraham takes that knife in his hands, and as he's ready to plunge it down into the chest of his son... He hears a voice and says, Abraham, stop. You've passed the test. Whew, I didn't actually like, have to kill my son. That would have been nasty. That would have been gory. And yet, look at Hebrews 11 again, verse number 19. Look at Hebrews 11. You still have your Bibles open, right? Hebrews 11, verse number 19. Everybody open your Bible up to that. 
Hebrews 11.19 says, Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Accounting. He, he was... Those of you that have an engineering mindset or a mathematical mindset, your mind, if you get, a, if you get stuck on a problem, it's like, it's like that's the only thing I can focus on. I, I'm, I'm working on it all the time. I'm chewing on it all the time. I've got to find the solution. That's that word accounting. It, it's consumed or occupying the mind with calculating. And it's like Abraham said, but okay, God, you told me to have a son. You told me the son is going to be the promised one. And you told me to kill him. What's going to happen here? This doesn't make sense. I guess the only solution is that God's going to raise him from the dead. That's it. God already told me I'm going to kill him, and so God must want me to kill him, and then, and then he's going to raise him from the dead. So when they get to the bottom of the mountain, he tells the servants, I and the lad are going to come back to you. We're going to both return to you. By faith, by faith, he stepped out and followed God, accounting, taking it to the bank, believing that God was going to do it, not knowing how, but believing that God would. And you may not know how your future holds, but you have to know that God will come through for you. And if God is calling you to something bigger than your life today, then you may not know what all the future holds for you. But that's not for you to know. It's for you to surrender to Jesus Christ's call on your life, whatever it is, whatever it is. Listen, listen. This is too important for you to pass up. Surrender to God's call. It's as simple as that. I go to paintball camp at Ironwood out near Barstow. Went last year, and there was an all-star game. I was not one of the all-stars. I was against the all-stars. It was like all of us against these five all-stars. And so they're picking us off left and right. I got around the outside. I got behind a big old uh, stack of, of tractor tires. And the guy couldn't see me, and it was so wonderful. I got around this, the backside of Mr. Sam. Of Sam, he was one of our guys' counselors there at Ironwood a couple years ago. And he's bent down like this, shooting at my teammates. And he's, he's hiding behind a wall like this. And I come around the backside of him. I'm probably 20 feet away from him. I haven't shot a shot. My hopper is full of paintballs. My air tank is full of CO2. My gun is strong. Oh, I'm so ready. I walk up behind my, I walk up behind my bunker and pop up. And I can see... He's only wearing a t-shirt. If you've ever been hit by a paintball. I've got welts through like three layers of clothing before. But a t-shirt and getting lit up, lit up means like, I, in my mind, I had it that I was going to pop up and empty my entire hopper on this guy, like a hundred welts across his back. I, I, I wanted to give him the cat of nine, tail, nine tails with my paintball gun right across his back. But there's a mercy rule stinking mercy rule. What you're supposed to do is if you have the drop on somebody, you're supposed to, you're supposed to reveal yourself a little bit and say this word. Do you know the word? Surrender. Surrender. And so I did that. I come around my, I come around my corner. He's right there with his back to me. I pop around the corner and I yell, surrender. And he jerks his head around. And he hesitated for a second. I was like, oh, bring it on, buddy. This is going to be the greatest battle I've ever seen. I wanted him to not surrender so badly. And you know what he did? He's there. He saw that the drop on me. He saw there was like a six-foot wall he would have to climb to get away. And he goes, oh. 
And he holds his gun up, and that was the sign of surrender. I was so excited. Man, I pop up. I was so happy about that. I pop out into the open, and bam, 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 I get hit by three paintballs right in my ribs from his dumb brother that was hiding <laughs> further up the street. He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't very nice to me. I was nice to his teammate. He told me afterwards, Sam told me afterwards, you know, I thought about trying to, trying to fight it out. I really did think about trying to just run for it and, you know, maybe you would miss the paintballs. I told him, oh, I wish you would have. That would have been so amazing. He would have been so destroyed. It would have been wonderful. But, but, but the fight, the fight that could have been ended in this moment where I said, surrender. And he thought about it and he hesitated. And get your attention up here. Get your attention up here. He went like this. Okay. And he held up his gun. And some of you want to fight God today. Some of you are there and saying, I know God's best is for me. I know I'm going to get destroyed. I know I'm going to squander my life. I know it's going to hurt if I try to fight this out. If I try to fight God on this, but I'm Rambo, man. I'm ready to take on God. I think I can plan my life a little bit better. And you turn the gun on God. That's the dumbest thing you can do. God is calling you to this place of saying, look, surrender, surrender. My way is so much better. And what God is calling you to do is just go, all right, God, I give my life to you. I give my life to you and I give my future to you. Missions isn't the only way you can surrender to God. That's an emphasis of today and we'll never apologize for that. That's why you come to church. You'll hear missionaries and you'll hear preaching from preachers to call young men to give their lives to God and young ladies to give their lives to God. It's not the only way, obviously. Obviously, your churches are made up of people who are not pastors and missionaries and they're wonderful, godly people. That's the way God designed our lives to be. I think God is calling more of you to missions, then respond. Yeah. I think there's more missionaries that God is trying to call. But you say, but why, why does God want me? I don't know if I can accomplish anything. What's the point? What's the point? There were men like Nate Saint and Jim Elliott. I don't know how God is going to use me, but I believe He will. And yet in their untimely deaths as 30-year-old men, it might have looked like, well, what was the point of that? Until Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, and a team of other missionaries kept pursuing those same Indians that killed their husband and their brother, those same Indians, and kept pursuing them with the gospel and kept pursuing them with love. What's the point of these men that gave their lives at 30 years old? What was the point of all the sacrifice of flying their plane? What was the point of all of that? Did we accomplish anything? What was the point of surrendering to God? I think we'll see that through the effects of those, that sister and that wife and that missionary team that kept on attacking them with the gospel, kept on bringing the gospel to them. I don't know how God is going to use the death of these missionaries, but I believe He will. And people that kept on pressing on in the face of what seemed like a stupid idea. You're just going to die too. What's the point? We already heard in the last session, you waste your potential when you spend it on you. So come to the place of whatever it is on the altar where you just say, all right, God, I surrender. What is it that you need to place on the altar today? Watch God unfold an adventure far more exciting, far more emotional than you could ever, ever dream. Brother Christian.